Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 64 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to talk about God's calling in your life. Let's dive in. Recently, I was listening to a sermon by one of my all-time favorite preachers, who just happens to be a friend and mentor of mine named Stephen Manley. Now, since the beginning of this podcast, I've played several of his sermons on this podcast. And I really love his depth and his insight in the word of God. Well, I was listening to the sermon from Acts chapter one, and he was talking about our calling, how God has a calling. He has a seat, if you will, that you are called to sit in, that you are not an accident, that, that God has designed you and, and has shaped you and has given you your personality and your talents and, and your ability for a specific reason. Well, as I was listening to this sermon, I was just deeply moved, partly because not only did I need to freshly hear this truth, but this topic of calling has come up in a variety of my conversations over the last couple of weeks. So I thought it'd be interesting on this week's episode to play you this sermon that I listened to. Now, I've heard it several times and it never gets old. In fact, I see greater depth every time I listen to it. Well, I would like to bring you in on this sermon and play for you the sermon by Stephen Manley, an aggressive usher. Now, this is taken from Acts chapter 1, verses 24 through 25. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to grab those and open them up. And I want you to discover this idea of God's calling in your life. So we're looking at Acts chapter 1. I want you to turn to uh, verse 15. And we're going to uh, look down into uh, verse 23, 24, and 25 again. So Acts chapter 1, verse 15, down through 26 is actually a passage. We're not going to take time to uh, read it uh, all the way through again tonight, but uh, we uh, want to uh, try to pick up where we left off last night and examine some uh, key uh, phrases and ideas and a concept that he's attempting to uh, give to us and that we're attempting to get a hold of. Um, you know what's that in-between time? Uh, that is, they uh, have uh, come out of the ascension and they are in obedience to Jesus and they have uh, ended up going to uh, Jerusalem as they were uh, supposed to. They're in a waiting period. It's not waiting as lazy boy recliner type. 
but they are down in the face of the leaders of Israel in the temple. Uh, they're rejoicing, praising God. They didn't spend a lot of their time in the upper room uh, hiding. They were down in the, uh, in the temple rejoicing and uh, mixing with those who had been uh, responsible for the killing of Jesus and crucifixion of Christ. And so it was a powerful, powerful time. If we've got the time set right, it was about a period of seven days. So it wasn't a lot of time. They were just there waiting uh, in Jerusalem, being obedient, anticipating the outpouring of the Spirit of God. And while they were in that time, uh, probably three days had gone by, maybe four, who knows. Uh, Peter stood up in verse 15. And he says, you know, we've been in this prayer thing and we've really been saturating uh, and having a new access to heaven that we've never had before. And out of that has come this uh, inside thing. I just feel burdened. I feel like, whoa, there's some things that aren't quite right. There's some stuff that just isn't together yet. And if God's going to release his hand and there's going to be an outpouring of the Spirit and the promise of the Father is going to be experienced, we really need to tie up the loose ends and get everything in place so that God can do that. And one of the things that I've really been burdened about, he says, is this, this Judas thing. Now, Judas, of course, is dead and gone, so we can't do anything about that. But this apostleship, there's only 11 of us. There should be 12. Jesus promised that we would, as 12, would rule over the 12 tribes of Israel in the coming kingdom. Jesus chose 12 disciples, apostles. So one of us has walked out, betrayed. Hey, it's all over for him. We really need to fill that spot. And he says, I want to base this on Scripture. And you'll note in verse 20, he quotes the Scripture that he bases this on. And it's out of Psalms. There are two Scriptures, two Psalms that he quotes. And then he gives the qualifications. And we want to start reading there uh, in verse 21. He says, Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to uh, Joseph, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Now you understand that the whole focus of the passage is all about this apostleship thing. The whole reason they're having this a meeting, by the way, this is the first recorded business meeting of the early church. These are the board minutes. The reason for this whole thing is this whole idea of apostleship, ministry. And you'll note in verse uh, 24 that as they prayed, that is down in verse 25, a part of the prayer was that they linked this idea of ministry and apostleship together. Now, there's a whole sermon in that, but we're not going to get into that, only to say that that seems to be significant, ministry and apostleship, and they've linked the whole thing together. So that this whole passage and the whole reason they're going through all of this and their whole prayer focuses on this business of the accomplishment of ministry as focused on apostleship. Apostleship was a high calling, no question about that. If you want to know what the details of the apostleship were all about, he gives that at the end of verse 22. This is really significant. And again, there's a whole sermon in this. He says that one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. You know what the function of an apostle was? Witness of the resurrection. You know what the ministry was really all about? Witness of the resurrection. Witness, witness of the resurrection. Well... My ministry's teaching a class. No, it's not. It's being a witness of the resurrection. Amen. Well, 
My ministry is preaching. No, it's not. Ministry is witness of the resurrection. Well, I'm an usher. Witness of the resurrection is your ministry. That the whole focus is not, well, we got to have an apostle because we're going to have all these uh, church plants and hey, we got to have somebody oversee this outfit. No, that's not the function of an apostle. Well, we got to have a chairman of the board and, you know, somebody's got to keep the minutes and no, 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 that's not. See, the whole business of ministry, well, when the boards fall off the side of the church, we've got to nail them back on. That's, no, that's, see, the reason for an apostle is witness of the resurrection. Now, in the context of that, the witness of the resurrection was not one who went around telling, oh, yes, Jesus is raised from the dead. That was not the witness of the resurrection. The witness of the resurrection was that it was absolutely impossible to convince anybody that Jesus is raised from the dead and nobody saw Jesus raised from the dead. Do you realize that the resurrection is the only event in all of Christendom that we didn't have anything to do with and didn't participate in at all? Yeah, the birth of Christ, Mary certainly participated. And I mean, the, sold, the, uh, the, the uh, shepherds were hanging around watching. And Joseph was certainly involved as he was standing there watching the whole thing and participating as the adoptive father. Hey, that, sure, we participated. Oh, hey, the whole business of the crucifixion, we sure participated in that one. But the resurrection, we weren't even there. We didn't even see the thing. By the time the angel came down and rolled the stone away, Hey, he was already out of there. See, they didn't roll the stone away to let him out. They rolled the stone away to let us in. <laughs> see, we didn't know anything about any of it. We didn't see it. We don't know how it was done. We don't know when it was done. It was just, hey, he's dead. We buried the man. And whoa, now he's floating around the countryside. And how do you do this? And we never, we did not even witness the resurrection event. So nobody could really testify about that thing anyhow. Because we didn't even see it. Well, what was the witness of the resurrection? Oh, that the resurrected one was going to do something in our life that was so, that was so like him. In fact, it was him that people would hang around and say, you've been hanging around Jesus, haven't you? I see the resurrection in you. And the witness of the resurrection was going to be that they were going to become a stage upon which the very divine resurrected Christ was going to act out the resurrection life and power. That they were literally going to become an avenue and a flow of that. Oh, ministry is defined in that terms. In fact, as we get into this tonight, what I'm going to try to hound you about is, do you understand that ministry is not an activity you accomplish? Ministry is a, whoa, God is doing something through me and I don't have an idea what he's doing. And he, and he ministers to me and when I don't even know it and when I'm not even conscious of it and, and, and thinking about, well, not I've got a ministry. When I'm just out there doing whatever I'm supposed to be doing, whoa, ministry takes place and somebody's kneeling there and praying. Why are you doing that? So that ministry is not in the bracket of something I do. Ministry is not in the bracket, well, to develop my skills, i got talent. It's the intangible dynamic flow of the life of the Spirit who literally lives within the individual, dynamically displaying His resurrected being through us. Ministry. So the whole focus of this passage is all about that. And the whole calling of the apostleship is somehow linked to that. It's all wrapped up in that. They were called to that. 
Luke is really interesting in how he uh, portrays the calling, the choosing of the apostles. He does it different than all the other gospel accounts. Matthew uh, is different. Luke is really, it's different than Luke. Luke is really, what Luke does is, it's really strange, you know. Jesus went down, was baptized, received the fullness of the Spirit. He went out and started doing all this ministry stuff. And, uh, oh, miracles were taking place. Went down to the Nazareth thing, hey, uh, his hometown, and they rejected him. And, and uh, he was already into such powerful ministry in Galilee. In fact, uh, the multitudes were already following him and hounding him. And he'd already stirred up enough trouble. People wanted to kill him already. I mean, ministry was developing. Hasn't even chosen his disciples yet. But there's all these people that are hanging around, you know, 500, 1,000, I don't know. Hey, lots of, lots of. He called all of them his disciples. The whole lot. Everywhere he went, these all this crowd went. And they just hung around and, you know, free food. Yeah, they just hung around. You know, free food always gets disciples. So they just hung around. And after all this ministry was developed and, and had already built to the point, oh yeah, he said, Matthew, you come and follow me. But he hadn't called Matthew to be an apostle. He just called him to, yeah, well, come on and hang out with the group. And so all of these guys were hanging out with the groups, you know, and they were this huge crowd, Luke says. And then Luke says, uh, yeah, right in the middle of all this Galilean ministry, Jesus went off one night to pray, prayed all night, got up the next morning, had this list, man, came back, gathered this whole group, I mean, how many were there? 500? 1,000? They called him disciples. And he, and he looked at him and said, Hey, oh, yeah, Matthew. Hey, yeah, you up here. Hey, oh, yeah, Peter, want you over here. And he called these 12 guys to be apostles. Can you imagine them looking at one another saying, oh, Awesome. <laughs> and all these people chose me. Was it my looks? Was it my talent? Is it my talent? How did he know I had two PhDs? What, why, why would he choose me? What, is the, what are the qualities he sees in me? Why would he want me to be an apostle? It, it's just, it's like, it isn't that the other folks weren't good. It isn't, well, the others didn't have talent. Well, some people can sing better than I can. I know that. And hey, well, some people look better than I do. Not too many. But some look better than I do. But not, none have bigger noses than I do. So, hey, so why did he choose me? It's just that somehow I'm in. Do you feel that? Somehow I'm, somehow I'm his preference. Somehow out of, somehow out of everybody out there, He wants me. And he chose these 12 not to do anything brilliant because they weren't all that smart. Not, not, to, not, to, not to write fat books, although they did write phenomenal books, although they weren't even educated. Not, not to pull off anything big, although great things did happen through them. But he called them to be witnesses of his resurrection. Now one of them's gone and they want to replace him. Now the focus of all of this, this ministry seems to be in this prayer. And I want you to look at it again with me. And they prayed and said, this is verse 24. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen. And here's what we want to land on. To take part in this ministry. To take part. Now, you know, the Greek language to take is one Greek word uh, and it's a verb and it's an infinitive. 
which I know is exciting to you as it is to me. And the interesting thing about an infinitive verb is the fact that it's usually followed by what is called an accusative. And that's not really too strange for us because the accusative idea is the idea that an accusative receives all of the action, all of the, all of the movement of the verb. We would call it a direct object. The boy hit the ball. The boy took this bat and he hit. Hit is the verb and the direct object that has received the action of the hitting is the ball. So here's the verb, and what, where's the action of the verb going? The ball. Now that's exactly what's happening in this, in this verse 24, or that is verse 25. To take is the verb. So to take, the infinitive verb, literally has a direct object or an accusative, and the accusative is part. It's receiving all of the action of the taking. Now, that may not seem very important to you, but it's really important because, and there's a whole sermon in this too, but just to give you a taste of it, the idea of part is as if it's a thing in itself. They are to take part in the ministry. Part is like it's an object. Part is like it's a chair that you sit in. Part is like it's an office that you go to. Part is like... See, the ministry is treated in the passage like it existed in itself. That's a whole new concept. See, I've always looked at ministry as, hey, I'm a charismatic personality man. I got talent, so I went. I took this church, got this Sunday school class. Yeah, I went into this Sunday school class, and hey, I began to knock on doors, and I taught this lesson, and hey, I had, I had final graph, and I did, and whoa, wow, and me, and hey, and I got, and I put this all together, my class is growing, and I've got this ministry. Where'd this ministry come from? I produced this. See, they're saying, no, no, no. You don't produce this ministry. This ministry exists right here. And God says, hey, I want you to come and sit in this ministry. And the ministry is something that's apart from you. You didn't create it. It didn't flow out of you. You didn't start it. You won't end it, son. This ministry is bigger than you are. And Judas, you can go your own way. But the ministry still exists. Isn't that a neat idea? How can I explain it to you? See that God, God had this overwhelming dream. God had this overwhelming plan. God is going someplace. God has this great design. And in the design and the dream of God, whoa, he looked here and there. Hey, there's a hole there. You know what he did? He got out his tape measure, man. He started measuring that hole. And as when he got done measuring all the dimensions of that hole, he, he built something to fit that hole. And you know what he built? Me. I fit that hole. I fit the hole. See, God didn't come along and, and see me on the street and say, Oh, yeah, I made you. Whoa. Yeah, I forgot all about you. Wow. Hey, uh, listen, I've got to keep you busy. Listen, dig a hole, fill it in. Dig a hole, fill it in. Go down there and teach a class. Yeah, yeah, that'll keep you busy. Teach that class. Yeah, yeah. And uh, hey, be a trustee down at the church. That'll, that'll keep you. Well, back to what I was busy about. Say, no, God had this dream and in the middle of this, God had this plan and in the middle of this plan there's this and, and I was born 
out of the dreams of God. See, I didn't just show up. God didn't just create somebody. God didn't just make somebody and then dream up something for him to do. God had this overwhelming something that needed to accomplish. And, and he built me because I fit the bill for accomplishing that. And it isn't that I'm able to do that for him. It isn't that I'm, it's that somehow there's this thing called the ministry and it's kind of like a chair. And he said, hey, what I want you to do is I want you to come and sit in the chair. You don't need to do anything. Just occupy the chair, boy. Because it's shaped like you. Because I built you to fit the chair, man. And when you, all the lumps in the chair fit you perfectly, man. It's shaped just like your body, boy. Hey, I, I built you to fit. And all you do, just relax, sit there. And I will do something dynamically through you called ministry. And that this part thing is like it exists. Ministry exists all on its own. Awesome concept. Now, if you've grasped that at all, I, I want you to understand that the word take here is in the active voice. Oh, that's excited you too, okay? The active voice. Now, the active voice, you know that verbs have voices, active and passive. Passive is, uh, well, the subject receives the action of the verb. Uh, and active is that the subject is literally uh, doing the action of the verb. For instance, again, the boy hit the ball. The boy is doing the action of the hitting. Oh, that's active. Passive would be the boy was hit by the ball. He's receiving the action of the verb. Want to try it? Okay, so this is active here. So someone is actively reaching out and taking, doing the action. Actively reaching out and taking this part, this, this ministry thing that actually exists apart from me. I didn't produce it, but it's there. And now someone is reaching out, grabbing a hold of this thing. At first, it's a little misleading in, in, the, in the English translation. At first, I thought the one who was reaching out, grabbing a hold of this ministry, this part thing, taking a hold of it, aggressively doing it. I, I thought at first it was, well, Matthias. He's the one that's chosen, right? So that the call was, hey, Matthias, the lock fell on you. Hey, you reach out, take, grab a hold, get into this apostleship. Hey, go take a class, do a Saturday seminar, get this thing accomplished. Come on, develop your skills. Hey, up, 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 come on, hey. And that he was to take. Well, what I discovered was in the passage, and if you don't get this, don't worry about it. It's an infinity verb, which means it's not the main verb. And an infinitive verb depends upon a stronger verb. In other words, it gets its strength from another verb. So it's subordinate. So what is the other verb that to take is subordinate to? Well, it's you have chosen to take. You have chosen. Oh, God. See, they're praying. Lord, you know the hearts of all. We want to know who you show us, who you have chosen. So to take is related to the verb have chosen. And who's doing the one, who's doing the choosing? Oh, you are. So who's doing the acting take of taking here? You are. So the impact of the verse is not that God has called me. I'm to reach out and grab a hold of this thing. No, the, the verb is, oh, he, he, he has reached out. 
He's grabbing a hold of me and he's literally, he's literally jamming me into the chair. He is an aggressive, aggressive caller. Hey, pastor stands up and he says, we are now going to receive the offering. You know what pictures that puts in my mind? Well, the picture of that is here's this timid usher. He's walking down the aisle. He stares at the floor. Doesn't stare at the people. Stares at the floor. He's got it played in his hand. He stands right by your pew. He just carefully hands you the pew, uh, hands you the, uh, the plate uh, as you sit in your pew. And, and you, 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 hey, he doesn't look at you. There's no pressure. It's just we're receiving. That's the picture. If the pastor stands up and says, we are now going to take the offering. Oh, that's a different picture. I can see them. Six foot six, broad shoulders. Stomp. It's a poor example, but stomping down the aisle. Hey, the whole place thunders well. And they stand right there. They look at you. He's an aggressive usher. He's looking at you, scowling. Hey, he puts the plate right under your nose. He taps you on. Hey, you. We're taken. Words really matter, don't they? Whether you're receiving an offering or taking. Now, that matters here. Is this a receiving or is this to take or is this to receive? See, what's the tone here? What's this like? So the impact is, here's this almighty God who is receiving your ministry. Yeah, he's standing timidly with his hands folded and he's looking at the floor and and you don't have to respond to this. Hey, you can just take the ministry and pass it on to somebody else. You don't really have to get involved in this. Or is this a, is this a sovereign God who's come six foot six standing by your side? Yeah, you still can, you can still can reject. You can still pass the ministry on, but man, he is an aggressive, he is an aggressive sovereign Lord who's literally reaching out, grabbing a hold of you. He's taking you. He's, he's tapping you on the shoulder, putting a plate underneath your face, man. Hey, you! Which is it? Well, the indication of the passage is that this is a sovereign God who's literally reached out, grabbed a hold of you, and he is aggressive. He's not standing back in the shadows, standing somewhere in the shadows you were finding. No, he's standing in broad daylight, looking you in the face, man. Hey! I've chosen you and I got the chair over here, brother. And I'm going to pick you up by the nap of the neck and I'm, whoo, you in the chair. Now you can run away if you want to, but I'm coming after you. That's pushy, isn't it? I don't know how many people you've talked to who have a full-time uh, a call to full-time ministry. But if you talk, if you go around the country and you talk to people who have a full, a call to full-time ministry, you will find out that that call is very, very aggressive. Very aggressive. In fact, for people who are called to full-time ministry, you will quickly discover that their call to full-time ministry, well, an example is myself. I'm called to preach. Well, why don't you just not preach? Yeah, just quit preaching and, and just, just be a good layman. I can't. Well, don't you have a choice on whether you preach or not? Yes, I do not have to preach. I have a choice on that. I could quit preaching, but if I was going to quit preaching, I'd have to become a bartender. Or something. 
Because I couldn't just be a good layman because I couldn't be Christian without preaching. Because my salvation is all intertied with the whole business of the call. That the call is so serious in my life and so connected with my relationship with Jesus that the only possibility I have of having relationship with Jesus is to accept the call. Did that make sense to you? In fact, you've heard guys testify how they ran from the call of God. And it didn't matter when, where they were or how it worked out. Every time they thought about becoming a Christian, the call stared them in the face. And they knew that if they ever came back to God, they would have to come back. Even if they're 95, they'd have to come back at the point of the call. Because the call has come from a sovereign God who is an aggressive usher who's sticking the plate into their face, tapping them on the shoulder. You got that chair over there. I want you to sit in it, boy. Hey, picking you up by the nap of the day. You can run away, but I'm coming to get you. Whoa. Well, preacher, that's really nice. But that doesn't have anything to do with us. Because there's only a... There are three of us here who have a call. What would be the percentage of people here tonight who have a call of God upon their lives? A hundred percent! Do you know the biblical truth of this? That God is the aggressive usher man who stomped right into your pew, brother, and he stuck the plate right under your nose and said, hey, tapped you on the show. Hey, I'm, hey, don't you know I had a dream, brother, and it was shaped just like you, and I measured it out, and you fit the shape. Hey, build a chair, just your shape, son. Gonna pick you up by the nap. Whoa, you in the chair. And hey, yeah, just exactly, you don't have to do anything. I'll do it all through you. But I want you in the chair, boy, and I have called you. Well, called me to full-time ministry? Yeah. You mean to preach? Probably not. I'll do that. Hey, you mean called what's he called, called me to sing no you can't sing we've heard you well, you, well what's he called me to ministry ministry which is what being a stage upon which the divine resurrected Christ can literally display his resurrection and witness to the whole world that, that the ministry is not something you're to do it's something you're to occupy can you get all that And he is very aggressive about this. See, in the New Testament, there isn't anything in the New Testament about, about clergy and laity. Oh, this blesses me all over. Some preachers don't like this because we like to. And you are. We're. Uh, that's why we wear the ties. See, biblically, it's body. And that the call of God on your life is as strong as it is on my life. And as strong on my life as it is on your life. And that God's dream for you is as big as his dream for me. Isn't that awesome? Can you imagine God coming along and saying, you know, I've got 600 high school students down at the high school. I want to get through to. Man, I want to get through to them. I'm going to display a witness of the resurrection all over them. Hey, I think I'll use you to do that. You say, whoa. You couldn't even go down to the high school. 
Hey, you couldn't, you couldn't hang around down there. You couldn't walk the halls, man. They'd run you off. They'd think you're pushing drugs. You can't get through the front door without a pass. There's no... Could if you taught English. Now, you're not there to teach English. Well, you might as well while you're there. But that's not why you're there. You know who you are? You're a full-time, down-to-it, call-of-God minister. Well, man, I can't, even if I do teach English, I can't witness. What are you talking about? No, I can't, I can't, I can't. No, yeah, what are you talking about? Sure you can. You think anybody can stop you from going into your classroom early and walking up and down those 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 benches and those desks and literally anointing those and praying over every end and those students have to come in and sit in the presence of God all that hour. Can you, do you think they can stop you from standing in front of that class, looking that whole class right in the eye, and in your mind and in your inner heart, just all pouring the Spirit of Jesus all over the atmosphere of that classroom? So it literally, they have to soak in that, man. They have to soak. The bell rings. They don't want to leave. God comes and says, I got 24 guys down there on a construction crew. Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you as a witness of the resurrection in that group. Oh, God, I couldn't go down there, witness to those guys. Foreman would see me and run me off. Could if you were the foreman. You're not there to be the foreman. Well, you might as well while you're there. But that's not why you're there. See, the reason you're there is you are a down to it full time. God had this dream, man. And there's, and he built you to say in the shape of, and he's coming, he's the aggressive usher plate under the nose, tapping you on the shoulder. Hey, grabbing you by the nap of the neck, gonna throw you in the chair, boy. Oh, hey, man. And you're gonna, and you're gonna be a stage upon which the divine God is gonna. What would that do to your job? See, that's what happened in the early church. They viewed their job as the platform for their ministry. Oh, I got this job. The boss is meaner than, oh, meaner than the devil himself, man. And hey, the surroundings are terrible. And all oh, the atmosphere is awful. Glory to Jesus. I get to go down there every day and penetrate that darkness with the light of the resurrected Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for calling me. Oh. They tell Johnny Jones down on my job. Praise the Lord. I get to rub shoulders eight hours a day with those kind of guys, man, and literally penetrate their life. I'd never get to meet them otherwise. I'd never get to know them. There'd be no way I'd ever reach them, man. I get to find out about their families. I get to go, I get to know their kids. I get to, whoa, I get to rub shoulders. I get to be the witness of the resurrection. God has called me to ministry. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And I get paid for it too. Yes. That's, that's, what I, that's what he's talking about. So the call. You know how aggressive Jesus is about this call? He's reaching out and taking you, man. He's chosen you. You're his preference. And he's reaching out and taking you. And there's this chair, this part that's sitting over there. And he's shaped you and he's going to throw you in the chair, man. And you know how aggressive he is about this? He wants the success of this ministry that he's called you to so bad, so absolutely bad. He is so determined that the ministry he's called you to, that the witness, the flow, the, the radiation, the intangible dynamic of his being in and out of you, he wants that so bad. He wants that 
upset so bad. You know what he's decided? He's not only going to call you, he's going to be the one that's going to do it because he can't trust you. See, it isn't that God stands back. He's the aggressive usher, man. He's put the plate under your nose, man. Tapped you on the shoulder. Reached out and grabbed a hold of you. Threw you in the chair. Now, hey, I'm going to watch you. It's not that. It's that he's not only called you and become the aggressive usher. He's literally going to provide all the resource, all the motivation, all all that's needed. He's going to manipulate the circumstances, guide the very essence of the whole thing so that when it's all said and done, you are destined to be successful in your ministry. You can't miss See, he not only calls you, he pulls it off. Where'd you get an idea like that? Let me read you this verse. There's lots of these. We do this all the time. First Thessalonians 5.24 He who calls you is faithful. God has called me. Yeah. Oh, I've got to do it. No, you don't. Well, God has called me. I got to pull it off. No, you don't. Listen to this. Here's what he said. He who calls you is faithful who will also... Do it. How could you miss? If the one who calls you is the one who's going to do it. Got it made, don't it? Because the very one who calls me is the very one who's going to provide the resource and dynamically act it out and pull it off. And all I have to do is occupy the chair. You don't believe me. (laughs) Let me give you another one. Peter's preaching. This is awesome. For the promise, he's talking about the promise of the Father, fullness of the Spirit of Jesus. For the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord will call. Isn't that an interesting statement? He says the promise, the promise, what you're witnessing right here, the fullness of the Spirit, the outpouring of Pentecost. It's in his sermon in chapter 2. Hey, the promise, the promise of the Father, the fullness of the Spirit of Jesus. Hey, it's promised to you. Yeah, all you Jews. That was 2,000 years ago. All you Jews. Oh, but not just to you. Your kids. Oh, good. I'm glad my kids are going to get on it. How about my grandkids? And as many as are afar off. That's us. In fact, to everyone that God has called. The promise of the Father. He's called you to the promise of the Father. Where do I find it? It finds you. Where do I go to get it? (laughs) He comes to you. You mean He's going to call me? Then He's going to hound me down? Yeah. You mean I don't have to do anything to get the promise? No. You mean I don't have to earn it? Absolutely. You mean I don't have to shape up? No. You you mean I don't have to change? No. You mean I don't make everything right and then cut? No. He's called you and he wants this call to be so so successful and so, so dead on that he provides everything necessary to pull the call off. So he literally takes the fullness of the promise and he literally dumps it all over you and the call, the promise of the Father, which is the call, does it all. Let me give you another one. Listen to this. 
God, you won't believe this. This is Bible. God has chosen or called the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has called the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has called and the things which are not to bring to naught or nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in His presence. You know what God has called? Foolish. The foolish things. God has called the weak things. God has called the base things. God has called the despised things. God has called the things that are not. You know how exciting that is? Because I can fit into any of those categories. God has called the foolish. I qualify. And you know what he's called the foolish? He's called the foolish to make shame, to bring shame to the wise. Can you see the foolish saying, well, God has called me. What's he called me for? Well, to make shame, to make the wise ashamed. To make the wise ashamed. I can't do that. God has called the weak. Oh, I'm weak. God has called me. What's he called me for? He's called me to make the mighty ashamed. God, God has called the things that aren't. Well, I'm half here. God has called the things that aren't to do what? To put to shame the things that are. I can't do that. How would the weak, how would the foolish, how would the despised, how would the things that aren't do? Oh, it's in the last statement. Did you get the last statement? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Because he's going he's gonna to do this. Well, what's my role in this? Sit in the chair, boy. Would you sit in the chair? You know what my problem is? I don't think I'm foolish. I think I'm wise. God has called me to put to a sh- put to shame, make a shame the wise. I'll tackle that job, boy. See, God has called the weak to make a shame and put to flight the mighty. Hey, I'll tackle the mighty. They don't call me manly for nothing. I'll tackle the mighty. <laughs> Bring it on, boy. Let's tough it out. See, I think I can. See, that destroys the ministry. Do you see that? Because who, who gets credit for... Who gets the gold medallion at district assembly? (laughs) 
See, and God says, hey, I'm going to call the foolish. I'm going to call the weak. I'm going to call the despised. I'm going to call the things that are not. Why? So that I will get all the glory. And so all I, hey, all I did was sit in the chair, man. I ain't got no talent and no education besides, man. I just sat in the chair and God just did, whoa, the amazing almighty God who called me, who's the aggressive usher, put the blade under my nose, man. Hey, tapped me on the shoulder, grabbed me by the nap of the neck, threw me in the chair, man. I just kind of occupied and God began to do ministry through me and things were happening. I had no idea. People were getting saved that I didn't even, I couldn't, I, well, I, don't, I didn't, well, why did, and my sermon didn't have make sense, but they came anyhow. <laughs> Ministry. Ministry. God has called you to minister. And he is the aggressive usher who's tapping you on the shoulder, grabbing you by the nap of the neck, and he's shaped you to fill this. Would you concentrate on him? Would you get all wrapped up in the flow of his presence? Would you get off of your doing and all your operation and all your little, would you, would you, would you really go after him? Would you really get wrapped up in him? Would you really get into his heart? Would you really get to know his mind? Would you literally become a vessel through which he could do something dynamic? Would you begin to live like you can't live, be what you can't be, act like you can't act, love like you can't love? Because he's taking you. And he's doing something through you. Jesus. All my life I've tried to serve you. I just... Man, I wanted to do great things for you. I wanted to pull off stuff for you. I wanted to... And all the time, that was not your plan at all, was it? I wanted to pastor the biggest church. I wanted to be the best evangelist. Wanted to preach to the largest crowds. Wanted to have the great TV ministry. Wanted to do the... God forgive me. You couldn't even use me, could you? Because I was so busy trying to pull off all this stuff for you that the chair you'd built for me, the ministry, which had this peculiar shape and you built me to fit that shape, could not be filled. And you never got to do through me what you wanted to do because I wouldn't, I wouldn't get in the chair. I wouldn't. 
I was so busy serving you, God, I'm sick of serving you. I don't want to serve you anymore. I want you to come and serve yourself through me. God, I don't want to have a ministry for you. I want you to come and minister through me. God, I don't want to love for you anymore. I'm sick of loving people for you. I'm tired of loving people who aren't lovely. I'm sick to death of straining to love everybody. What I'd like to do is be filled with you and let you just love your love right through me until your divine supernatural love just permeates my life and flows to every man I meet. I'm sick to death of straining to have the right words and know just how to say it and just how to make the impact and not to stumble over and just to tell the right stories. And I'm sick of that, God. Could you do something through me that would have nothing to do with language at all? Could I occupy the chair? Could you pour your spirit through me? Could I be so tight with you, so intimate with you, so one with you that you literally, that you literally impact my world, that the very atmosphere of my being, that down at my job and everywhere I go, people are just, whoa, something's happening in ministry because you are the aggressive usher who's tapped me on the shoulder, grabbed all of me by the nap of the neck. You've thrown me in your chair, God. If I could just occupy the chair, if I could just be in the chair. Bring me to death. Death to my ministry. Death to all my little skills. Death to all my little training. Death to all the stuff I've done in all the Sunday school classes I've ever taught. Death to all the uh, talent. Death to all my abilities. Death to my education. Could, could you bring me... Could you bring me to death to my personality? If you'd begin to do something through me, it wouldn't matter whether I was shy or I was bold. It wouldn't matter whether I was charismatic if or I wasn't. It wouldn't matter if I was type A if I was not. If you'd begin to flow through me. Open our eyes tonight. Until we can see you, the aggressive usher, six foot six, man, with a plate stuck under our nose, man. You're tapping us on the shoulder. You want to take us tonight. It's about... Thanks for being faithful to church. Thanks for coming Sunday morning, Sunday night. Thanks for reading your Bible, having devotions. Thanks for praying before your meals. Thanks for giving your money and tithing. Thank you. But would you go to a new level? Would you walk into something tonight you can't do? Would you be willing to surrender yourself to that which you can't possibly pull off?
Would you be willing to look at all of your skills and all of your talents and all the stuff you've done in the church all these years? Would you be willing to look at it as absolute foolishness? And sit in the chair and watch God do something through you that's bigger than what you've ever dreamed. out of the guilt you feel because well yeah I could have I should have if when I was younger I could have gotten into I should have I could have if I'd have gotten well if I'd have taken the voice lessons if I'd have done if I'd have would you would you would you walk out of that man would you walk out of that tonight and would you get in the chair and say God this has never been about what I was going to do anyhow this has never been about my talent and this has never about been about well if I'd have just stuck with it if I'd have just gone to this and that and the, this has always been about God you filling me I want to get all wrapped up in you take me by the nap of the neck jam me in the chair God begin to do something through me it's totally unexplainable God has called you to ministry. Would you get in the chair tonight? Would you get in the chair? Alders open. Oh, Jesus, pick me up. Aggressively pick me up by the nap of the neck. Throw me in the chair. And God, you've called me and you are so faithful. You will also do it. I'm available. For the actions of your resurrection on the stage of my life. Forgive me when my talent has got in your way. Forgive me when my traditional ideas have blockaded the kinds of things you wanted to pull off. Forgive me when I have acted like it was my deal. Forgive me when I thought I wasn't called and was off the hook. Aggressive usher. Stick a plate under my face tonight. Tap me on the shoulder. Scream in my ear. Stare in my eyes. What could happen if we who are here tonight could get in the chair?
can I freshly encourage you to sit in the seat that God has shaped for you? This world and this dark and damp and dreary world desperately needs you functioning in the position that God has for you. I love this idea that God has shaped a specific place just for you. And whether that means you're a plumber or you're a teacher or you're a minister, that you have a calling, that you are called to minister the gospel of the grace and the life of Jesus Christ. Can I encourage you, whatever you're doing this week, to realize that you're not there by accident, that God has placed you in the exact place that you are at to be a minister and to declare forth the truth and the reality of the gospel. Well, I hope you were encouraged by listening to that sermon by Stephen Manley. And thanks as always for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, including an outline and links to other resources and articles, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 64 for episode number 64. And until next time, know I am cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ.